salvation. And, you know, for each one of us, having received the salvation that comes from God through Jesus Christ, it was dramatic. Now, sometimes we might think, well, the Apostle Paul, my, my experience in coming to Jesus isn't quite as dramatic as his, but let me tell you, when you came to Jesus, there were angels who rejoiced in heaven. That's pretty dramatic. And so any encounter with Jesus and the salvation experience, it's, it's unique and it's radical, and it begins the journey that we have with Christ, with, with Jesus. So we're going to continue looking at this incredible encounter that Saul had with Jesus, and then to see how the Holy Spirit led him. And there's so many, again, so many wonderful nuggets here in Acts chapter 9 that you and I can relate to. But let's pray again for the Holy Spirit to teach us. Father, we thank you again for just the blessed time tonight of being able to come together to sing praises to you, Lord, and having our hearts directed to you, Lord. And now we pray for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to bring the spiritual truth from heaven to us, reminding us who we are in Christ, reminding us of who you and what you think of us, Lord. And the mission that you've given us, just as you had the mission for Paul, you have a mission for each one of us, Lord. And so, Lord, would you just enlighten us tonight with ways that you want to, Lord. Just have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we'll pick up in verse 7. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now this is interesting. You might think, well, what's going on here? Well, Saul has been blinded by the light. He's not able to see. He's having quite the experience. And here we see for three days, and if you would put yourself in the shoes of Paul, for three days not being able to see, having this encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, not eating, I, I got to believe that there was some intense reflection going on here, coming to grips with what had just transpired, going from persecuting followers of Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus. You remember, in Paul's world, God was everything to him. He was a Hebrew of all Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. According to the law, he was found blameless. If there was anybody that could get to heaven on good works and keeping the law, it would be, it would be this Saul, as we know as Paul. And we know from his testimony in Philippians 3 that even his own words, he said he had great zeal to persecute believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see him here, no doubt, just contemplating, thinking upon all that was going on, the reality of meeting this Jesus. And it gets better. Look at verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and said to the Lord, and, the, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And so here we have Ananias, who is a disciple 
Those that come on Tuesday night, you know what a disciple is. All of us know what a disciple is, but a follower of Jesus. And we see here that he responds to the Lord in obedience. Here I am, Lord. But interesting, it says, to him the Lord said in a vision. And remember, a vision is much like a dream, but a vision is when a person is awake. And so we see here the Lord, as we see in other places in the scriptures, the Lord speaks or reveals himself through a vision. And we know from the scriptures that God also reveals himself through dreams. We also know that the Holy Spirit speaks to us as believers through his word, through prayer, through the body of Christ, through circumstances in life, and, and all of these things that God, God can speak through and does speak through. And I'm reminded, in, interesting, in Acts chapter 22, when Paul gave his testimony to the Roman commander and to the mob, he brings up, and well, let's turn there, shall we? Yeah, let's do. Acts 22. Look at verse 12. Again, I'm pointing out to this follower of Jesus, this disciple. You know how amazing is it that he got his name in the Bible? But look what Paul said of him, or, or Luke writing and sharing with us. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour, I looked up at him. And then he said, the God of your fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. And I just point that out because the testimony of this man and how God used him as we are going to see, and we're going to see how much this man truly meant to, to the apostle Paul. So back to Acts chapter 9. And so the Lord said to Ananias. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So this is pretty amazing here. Uh, that the Lord speaks to Ananias through, you know, here, uh, and he's pointing out that um, Saul, who was praying, also sees this, and we see God just uh, working in a special way here. And no doubt, as we're going to see this man, Ananias, he knows who Paul is or who Saul is. He understands that he is the one who persecute and, and, you know, having Christians killed and having them put in jail, and he knows who this man is. And the Lord here is showing him that he was going to go, go to Saul. And look at verse 13, the answer of Ananias to the Lord. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest, to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, 
for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So here we see that Paul was a chosen instrument of God. And certainly Paul had just an incredible, unique uh, gifting of the Lord, his ministry to, to go to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the children of Israel. It's certainly clear that God had equipped Paul. And remember his background, he was... Uh, growing up in Tarsus as a Roman soldier. He was a Jewish citizen from the tribe of Benjamin. He studied the law and the scriptures uh, under the famous uh, Rabbi Gamaliel. And so essentially, God prepared Paul for this ministry. In fact, if we look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, we have Paul saying, For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without the law as without the law. Wow. Not being without law toward God, but under law, okay, toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. To be all things to all men. Paul was a chosen instrument of God. And brothers and sisters, we as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we too have a commission from God. We too are chosen instrument. Look at John chapter 15, verse 16. As Jesus shared with his disciples, the Lord shares with you and I. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, this is really a fascinating verse in Scripture. I love the fact that we are appointed. We are chosen by God. If you think, Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, he wants us to bear fruit. Right? That's a will of God verse there. But I find amazing, and only God can do this. How many times do we think, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. Anybody else get like that sometimes? Lord, I, I don't know what to do. What do you want me to do? Well, we can always go back. He wants us to bear fruit. And then isn't it amazing in God's infinite wisdom that he adds that about praying to Jesus, that whatever we ask, he will do? So if we ask the Lord in the power, in the name, the character, and nature of Jesus according to his will, we have the blessed assurance of God's word that he will do it. Now, that's not name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it, and nothing like that. But it's faith and trust in the Lord. Sometimes we don't have that direction from the Lord simply because he's waiting on us to ask him for direction. And it's always best to have him leading us, amen? So Paul, he's being 
certainly led of God, as is Ananias. In verse verse 16, it says, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And we know that the Apostle Paul went through a great deal of suffering. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22 through 28. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in the perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So who wants to be like the Apostle Paul? And this is part of his ministry. This is part of his calling. This is part of him being chosen by God for a special, unique calling. And for you and I, there will be times that we will suffer persecution. We will suffer. Sometimes we think, well, my life just stinks, when ultimately God may be doing a work in us for the furtherance of the gospel in somebody else. It's so important that we recognize that the world is watching and, re- and how we react, right? Oh, I just feel convicted when I watch college football. I, I'm just confessing it here, you know. The world's watching. That's why I don't have people come over to my house during games anymore. Um, we'll go with that. <laughs> I feel cleansed already. <laughs> Verse 17 says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, this is, this is awesome. Did you catch how Ananias approached Saul? Just as the Lord showed Saul in the, in the vision that Ananias, he laid his hand on him and called him Brother Saul. And I think this is, this is significant. You know, again, Ananias knew that Saul had permission from the, you know, the chief priest in Jerusalem to bind believers in Damascus. He knew the evil things that Saul had done. And he comes here and he lays his hand on him and calls him Brother Saul. And certainly Ananias was trusting in the Lord. He was being obedient to the Lord. I'm sure he was a little bit, you know, had a little bit of anxiousness about him. But just as the Lord had showed them, here he is. He's, he's putting his hand on him and calling him Brother Saul. And think about what this would have meant to, to Saul. Going through this intense reflection, everything that he knew and believed in about God came crumbling down. And he's isolated pretty much by himself, he and the Lord. And then he sees how the Lord did this, 
having this Ananias come to him and, and call him, uh, you know, Brother Saul. That's confirmation. And isn't it awesome when the Lord brings confirmation to us, when the Lord speaks to our heart, and maybe we're not sure, maybe we're in some kind of persecution or trial or tribulation, and the Lord reveals something to us, but yet then there's confirmation. That's glorious. That's how the Lord works. He's so good. And again, when you look at Acts chapter 22, um, you know what we read already of how during Paul's testimony of, you know, the tender heart he had toward Ananias. And how awesome it is when, when you gave your life to the Lord. Can you remember the first person that came to you when you gave your life to the Lord? Raise your hand if you do. Some of us were just too old, we can't remember. I'm talking to myself, because I can't remember either. But I knew the group of people were so... It's like now that I got saved, I was a different person. They could actually come up and say hi to me. Before, I was a filthy sinner. But it's a glorious thing when the body of Christ is right there with new believers, ready to take them by their side, ready to help disciple them and lead them. And again, it reminds me of the common bond that we have in Jesus Christ. We're knitted together in Christ, and it is powerful. Our brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes are we're more knitted together even than our own families. That's not knocking our families. It just points to the special bond that we have, that spiritual bond that we have in Christ. Oftentimes I think of a baseball. You ever tear apart a baseball, the cover, and you have all that yarn and all of that? That reminds me of how we're knitted together with God in the center, Jesus in the center, and we're all knitted together, and, and, and the Lord does that. So verse 18, it says, Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he rose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. I love this phrase in uh, verse 18, the physical describing the spiritual. Remember when you came to the Lord, the scales of your eyes came off, or the, the ton of bricks on your shoulders came off, right? Uh, regarding the scales coming off from, from the eyes, it's like we now have God's perspective in all things. Before we came to God, before we had that encounter with Jesus, we were spiritually dead. And the Bible tells us that the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. We can't because we don't have the Holy Spirit. And once we have the Holy Spirit, we can perceive, we, we think and as God and His Holy Spirit leads us to be renewing our mind, we then we see through God's lenses. But what amazing thing um, when we came to the Lord and we were able to see things more clearly. Verse 20 says, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now this is interesting because um, it would have been a very uh, great thing for a synagogue to have a Pharisee of all Pharisees, the great Saul. And so as he's here, they're probably excited that he is going to share, certainly this man who has sat under the great Rabbi Gamaliel, and he's here, and we're specifically told that he you know, 
preach the Christ in the synagogues, he is the Son of God. And this certainly, as you know, would identify, a name identifies with a person or the identity, and when Jesus is called himself, he called himself the Son of God, he is specifically pointing to deity. So when Paul says he's the Son of God, he is pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. He's, he's the anointed one, the Messiah, the one whom they were long awaiting for. Boy, did they have their eyes opened up. Well, maybe not, but maybe they were quite surprised when the things came out of Saul's mouth. And remember, this is typical of Saul uh, later becoming Paul, that he would go into the synagogues and reason with the scriptures. So he used the Old Testament to point them to the one that the word of God was pointing to as the Christ, the coming Christ. Verse 21 says, Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So they were amazed certainly amazed at the work of God, at God's handiwork. Maybe they didn't give God credit. We don't know for sure right here, but they were amazed. They knew something had happened with this man Saul. The same thing that God wants to do and has done in your life, transforming you from who you were before that encounter with Jesus to the person you are now, to transform our lives that would bring glory to God. And we see here, and I believe that words are so important. In verse 22, we have the word confounded and proving. Uh, confounded meaning to disturb the mind of one to stir up. And proved means to cause a person to unite with one in a conclusion or come to the same conclusion or come to the same opinion to demonstrate. So you, you see the great apostle there in the synagogue sharing who Jesus truly is, and reasoning them, which we can imply from the scriptures, pointing to Jesus. Not only was he defending the Bible, but he was unleashing the Bible. And how important that is for you and I. Oh, sure, we can defend the faith, right? But we have to stay in the word of God and point them to Jesus. And that's what exactly what Paul was so accustomed to doing. Verse 23 says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists. 
but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Wow. So did you catch what's going on here? Paul speaking boldly in the Lord, preaching and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he was doing that, they wanted, there were those that wanted to kill him. But we read here that all the churches throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they were growing in the Lord. They were being built up, edified. You will never find this in seeker-friendly manuscripts to the churches telling us how to grow the church. They won't bring up persecution. They don't even bring up the name of Jesus, right? Or the Bible. Or the Holy Spirit. And you think about what's going on all through the world. As we know from the scriptures, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, there will be persecution. Some sorts. And we think of all that's going on in the world today. You look at China, Iran, Middle East, many different places where the churches are growing. The underground church is just growing and increasing in number and God doing great things. And, uh, you know, as over the last several years, how God in the Middle East uh, using visions and dreams. You've heard the stories and the testimonies. It's incredible. Persecution leads to edification. And when we are focused on fearing the Lord and walking in His Spirit and being obedient, He too will grow us as individuals, as believers, as families, as a family of believers in a church. As we keep our eyes on Him, fearing Him, He'll do great things. We're never going to grow and be successful by following the ways of the world, or I should say the ways of some church mindset of seeker-friendliness, how to, how to get them in and how to keep them to stay. It's, it's taxing looking at all that stuff. Just stick to the Word of God. Live our lives out to Him. Fear God and the Holy Spirit working in and through us to, to bring glory to Him. That's God's desire. Verse 32 then, Now it came to pass... As Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Luda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he rose immediately. So all who dwelt at Luda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So here we have Peter, whom we've read a lot about in, in the book of Acts. We've seen how he was bold in the Lord, filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him, going all through you know, parts of the country, living his life on a mission, living his life as being appointed and chosen and commissioned 
As we know, Peter was an apostle. He's a sent one. And it reminds us that being in Christ, being a believer, we have a life of mission. Everywhere we go, we should be mission-minded, demonstrating the love of God, experiencing his grace that we might show others that same grace. We're all on that journey. So we have Peter. He's going about. He ends up in Luda. And no doubt he's desiring to see these believers, how they were growing. And then he has an encounter with this Aeneas, this man who had been bedridden for eight years and he was paralyzed. And most likely this man was not a believer because as we see in this passage here, it doesn't say he was a believer, it doesn't say he was a disciple, it doesn't call him a saint. And it's interesting here that we have a work of the Holy Spirit. And those of you who come, or who have came, I should say, to the spiritual gift weeks of the foundation of discipleship, we, we looked at those spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where we looked at the different gifts of the Spirit. We looked at Romans chapter 12 that gives us more gifts to the to the church, to believers, for the edification of the body, and as well as Ephesians chapter 4. But here we see and have three gifts of the Spirit in operation. Now, to be clear, let's identify what is a spiritual gift. Well, a spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit imparting supernatural giftings to His church, empowering believers to be witnesses to the lost and ministering agents to the body of Christ. So let's look at these three gifts. First of all, we have the gift of miracles, and you can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gift of miracles. And we see here clearly a miracle took place. This man who was paralyzed for eight years, bedridden, eight years, he was healed. But this is a gift of a miracle. He got up and walked. And how do we define a miracle? Something that cannot be explained other than God. That's that simple, right? We know that God worked in a fascinating way here. We also have the gift of faith. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. You're anointed of the Spirit. You've seen God work in your life and using you in different circumstances with different people. No doubt, remember, this is very close to Jairus, if you remember, how Jesus you know, raised the daughter and Peter was there. That's, that's interesting in itself. But think about the faith that Peter had to have to say once again, as we've witnessed in earlier chapters, Jesus Christ, and calls the guy by name, Ananias, Ananias, Jesus, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. So there had to be faith there by Peter, and that was the gift of the Holy Spirit of faith. We also must recognize the gift of faith with this man, Ananias. Because once Peter said this, he rose immediately. So it's not like Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you, get up. And it's like, okay, I'm going to think about this. Uh, 
what chapter and verse? Where do I need to go here? It wasn't like that. It says, the Bible says, he rose immediately. And I do believe this is a work of faith, a gift of the Holy Spirit, both to Peter and Aeneas. And then we all obviously have the gift of healing. And the word tells us, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you have life in his name. So we can rightfully assume that this man was healed physically, but even more importantly, spiritually. All salvation experiences are a miracle. Amen? As you gave your life to Christ, as the Spirit of God drew you to God, that, that very moment that you recognize Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, recognizing that you're a sinner and that you needed him, something happened, and it, it's a miracle. It's not something that can be explained in other, any other way, but it's a work of God. I think of, um, you know, Friday night we're going to have a bunch of little kids in here. That's going to be awesome. And they're going to get to hear the gospel. They're going to get loved on, right? We're going to love them. You know who the children's ministry coordinator is? She's right. Yes, amen. We get to love them and have fun with them and then share the gospel with them and just see what God will do. And who knows, perhaps God will do a miracle. And you know what? It might even be a miracle that we would never know about it until we get to heaven. And it's so important that we leave the results in God's hands. Amen? Verse 35 tells us that they turned to the Lord. And then verse 36, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Luda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the wid widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. So another miracle more workings of the Holy Spirit, more gifting to Peter and, and faith and him trusting in the Lord. When I look at this, and, and also it says in, um, you know, how she was brought to life. In verse 30, 42, it says, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. You know, you have to ask yourself the question, why does God heal some and not others? Why did he raise this woman to life? That is such a mystery that we will never know, but we only simply trust in the Lord. 
many believed. Many believed in the Lord. And that's where at times we need to leave it. God is God and he is sovereign. He never violates who he is. His character, his nature, his love. He might heal somebody from a disease and not another. We can't answer those questions. And we really do need to lead them to the Lord. Now, I do think it is healthy if we are asking that question, we go to him directly and, and be honest with him. Lord, I'm struggling with this. Right? Because you and I, we get asked these questions as believers. Well, if your God is so loving, why does he let that child with that disease pass? Don't try to reason with the question. Only point to God. There's times we just don't know. But that never, ever contradicts who God is. It's interesting when we look at this then. We see this man... Aeneas, who was bedridden eight years and he was paralyzed. Obviously, he trusted the Lord. He was healed. We see this woman raised from the dead. You know, when we think about the spiritual gifts of miracles, healings, and faith, when we read such scriptures, it's just not a history lesson. The same Holy Spirit who worked in the first century church is the same Holy Spirit who is with and in us today. It's the same gifting from the Spirit that God desires to work for His good purposes. And the Holy Spirit works and distributes these gifts as He wills. But I think sometimes we get rigid when we read these passages. And I believe that when the Spirit leads, we should open this up. And we want to do that tonight. First of all, we want to pray for those who are listening on Facebook. And then we'll have our time together as the body. Would you join me in praying for those that might be watching? Lord, we read your scriptures here and marvel. We marvel, Lord, of how you worked in the Apostle Paul. And how you worked in filled him with your spirit that he would turn from his ways and turn to you, Lord, and to be used by you, God. And we long in our hearts, Lord, to be used. And we thank you for the calling that we have in each one of our lives, that each one of us called to bear fruit. It's the will of God. And Lord, we know that there are times where we are in great need of your working whether it's through trials and circumstances, whether it's through physical afflictions. Lord, we simply ask that whomever might be listening tonight who might need a special touch from you, God, that you would meet their need, whatever it might be, Lord, that your spirit would work in such a way that there would be faith, and we will give you praise and advance, Lord, for going forward and doing that. And we thank you that you are a God who hears, a God who listens, a God who moves, and certainly a God who brings healing, demonstrating your goodness and your great love for your purposes. So we ask in the name of Jesus to reveal yourself to those who might be listening in a special, unique way to give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. So, for us gathered here tonight, 